Welcome to Michelle is Money Hungry. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson, and I focus on holding financial conversations that lean into social equity, policy, and access with a splash of pop culture. My goal is to lead these conversations with empathy and help both my listeners and myself learn more about money along the way. My guests and I will focus on when American women decide that they want more in their lives. Interestingly, many of the conversations centered around going into entrepreneurship. With that in mind, though, I do want to say that my guests and I aren't necessarily encouraging you to go into business. Instead, this conversation in my mind is a reflection of the policies that aren't in place here in the United States. Policies such as paid parental leave, generous paid sick leave, or just having a degree of flexibility and autonomy over your days so that you can run an errand, schedule a doctor's appointment, or take your kid to ballet. Or sometimes you just have to help your parents out when things come up. I often wonder how different American life would be for women if we had some of these policies in place. Would the choices we make be different? Thank you, Michelle, for having me back on the podcast. I am also a longtime avid listener, so super excited to talk today. I am the host of the Thought Card Podcast, an affordable luxury travel and personal finance podcast. I really just love empowering financially savvy travelers to travel more, pay off debt, and build wealth. So bringing money and travel together because they both go hand in hand and just honestly creating our own dream lifestyle. And then I do a lot of other projects. Um, At this point, I have somewhere close to 10 income streams, but I would say my other two major businesses, one is Grants for Creators, a biweekly newsletter where I curate different funding opportunities for creators and small business owners, and then Women of Color podcasters. So I have my hands in a lot of different pots, but at the end of the day, you can come to me for podcasting, travel, and money. I wanted to talk about, before we got really deep into this conversation, I wanted to talk about Women of Color podcasters and kind of share why I love being a member, but also why I think being a woman of color who has a podcast is so important. So for those of you who are joining us Danielle has this wonderful community called Woke Podcasters or Women of Color Podcasters. And I am a paying member of this community and I'm happy to do it. And it has been wonderful discovering all the unique and amazing creative content and impactful work that other women across the world, quite frankly, are um, creating and, and producing. But when I think of women of color and podcasts, I think of those moments in my life where I've been silenced because people don't want to hear what what I have to say, right? It's happened at work. It happened when I was in second grade, probably because I was talking at the wrong time, but I'm going to share this story. When I was in second grade, I'll never forget this. I was in second grade in Boulder, Colorado, and I was one of like two, maybe three black kids. There may be one or two Hispanic kids and that's it. It's very white town. And punishment for infractions was to be was to sit out recess. This is a big deal. And so I got in trouble for talking too much. Like something came up and I got in trouble and the teacher put my name in the doghouse. And it was literally a doghouse 
drawn on the chalkboard and I had to sit out during recess. And that was like that first time where I remember being in trouble for speaking. And throughout my life, that's happened on more than one occasion. And in, in fact, in my old job, I worked with a colleague, I say that word loosely, that for five fucking years, and I'm going to say the F-bomb, would pretend like she didn't see me when I came by. She pretended like she didn't hear what I said. She would sigh when I spoke. She would roll her eyes during meetings. Like it was very bad. It was documented. It was bad. And um, part of why I love the fact that you have this community creating audio content is because I feel like I'm not unique in being shut down or told to shut up or that what I have to say wasn't, isn't important. So could you talk about fostering women in particular, women of color to have their voices heard? Because the only way you can interrupt me in a podcast is to turn it off. And I don't know the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is such a touching story and speaks to me personally on so many different levels. And also I'm just going to add on top of that because I think finding a community such as Women of Color Podcasters is so important to me because it's very isolating. Podcasting is very isolating. Still today, if you go on the top 100 podcasts on Apple Podcasts, there's going to be a select few, which we all typically know who they are, who are charting the charts. And it's really easy to think and believe that women of color are not podcasting, that they're not sharing their stories, their expertise and knowledge in the audio medium. And that's why our organization is created for is to really be like, no, we do exist. We are here. And we're also very strategic. We are using our podcast to create businesses, create wealth for ourselves, to share ideas, share stories, to be artistic and creative, all these things. So I really, really think it's important to not only be in community with each other, but also learn and contribute to the medium as well. You recently about a year ago, decided to become a full-time entrepreneur. I find your story so interesting because you have a family. You have a little, he's adorable. I feel like sometimes navigating entrepreneurship as a parent, because you've got a small human that has to be taken care of, is a little different than as a person without other dependents. What was it like for you to work through the process of deciding to move forward with that and why did you do it? Like, I felt like your previous role was very impactful for you, that you enjoyed it. So I'm curious as to why you decided to redefine how work would be for you. Yes. So previously I was a grant manager. I loved my job. I worked with faculty, researchers, physicians on submitting grant applications. Like that was my thing. I was extremely good at it. And also it was very independent job and I could boss them around, which was like really fun. Me bossing doctors around and being like, you, you know, these things are due and we're going to submit this grant. So I really loved it. But on the side, I was also writing about travel and personal finance. I was also podcasting as well. And a part of me inside of me longed to do this full time. However, my salary to cover my salary, it just felt like a daunting task. Like I felt like I was making way too much money from my nine to five job to ever consider freelancing and being an entrepreneur on the side uh, or just becoming an entrepreneur in general. And I stayed in the side hustle mode for years as a result of that. 
However, as many people, the you know pandemic shook things up. It, it really gave us the space to sit down and evaluate, like, where is my life going? And then when the pandemic ends, do I really want to come back to this life? To share with you a behind the scenes, I was also commuting about two hours one way to New York City every single day for years. And I was able to negotiate eventually sometime being able to work remotely. But I was just like, I really can't go back to this, like, just this time suck. And No matter how I justify it, like I just didn't want to go back to that. So my husband actually came to me in one day and he's like, you know, you had these big dreams of going full time. Why don't you take a challenge and take this time to just try to see how much you can bring in and see if going full time could be something that's possible. And I was like, babe, are you sure? Are you sure? I was like, you know what? I'll take you up on the challenge. So my goal was to save about three months worth of my salary just so that I can see, okay, if I can go full-time. And I saved three months of my salary and I kept going and going and going to the point where I was like twofold. One, my side hustles was making me enough money where I could actually save it to the side. So that allowed me to be like, okay, prove a concept. I can make money from my business consistently to the point where I'm actually covering months and months of living expenses. So it made a lot of sense for me to say, you know what, this is the time now is the time now. Also, that job was starting to, you know, bring me back. They're like, oh, talking about, okay, we're going to come back to the office. And I was like, "Eh, not in the cards. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Like we've been doing this for two years. I'm not going back. It just felt empowering to be like, no, I'm calling the shots. And what I'm doing is lucrative and it's literally matching my salary now. So that felt very empowering. I will say things kind of got a little hairy because we found out that we were pregnant a couple of weeks after I gave my notice. And the big question that we had is, did it make sense for us to continue going full-time or to stay in your comfy, cushy job, get like your five weeks, six weeks of maternity leave all covered and all paid for no no worries but i'm gonna say something that's unusual that you had that benefit by the way like most people don't have that benefit yeah i had i literally walked away from 520 hours because i just never took sick time never ever ever which i i highly do not recommend that (laughs) i wish i would have you know but for whatever reason you know all the reasons why we feel like we can't take our sick time away and i lost all that time when i decided i wasn't gonna I they wasn't going to, they didn't pay me out. Nope. No. So I lost 520 hours of sick time that I could have cashed out. Um, but unfortunately the policy was, is designed that way. But at the time I was just ready to leave. I felt comfortable and confident in my ability. I had savings based off of my income for my side hustles to depend on if for whatever reason I had to, I had to pull from that fund. So It was a really tough decision to make, but at the end of the day, I chose me and it's been the best, the best decision. I was tweeting out the other day. I had always had these dreams of being a stay at home mom and it never felt or seemed possible. My mom was a single mom. She worked really hard. And because of being the single status, like she was away from the home all the time. And I didn't want to raise my son in that way. So 
looking back at it and being like, wow, all that hard work, all those seven years of side hustling and working, giving a hundred percent to my job and also a hundred percent to my side hustle means that I can be with my son in the middle of the day. I can do these things. So that's a bit of my story and the roundabout way of like how it all, how it all transpired over the last uh, year and a half. I didn't plan on asking this question, but I am curious. You are a multi-passionate entrepreneur. You have multiple things that you're working on. For those women who are listening to this show who are also multi-passionate, what's the advice that you would give to them to nurture the different passions and get them to actually make money? While this is not an entrepreneurship episode in, in terms of like teaching entrepreneurship, I do think that there are probably some people who are like, you have 10 revenue streams. Like, how are you making this happen? And I think that if, if you have a couple of quick tips to share, that would be so welcome uh, by the uh, listeners. Of course. I realized that there's a difference between the projects and skills that I have that make me money and the projects and skills that I have that are not as lucrative, but I enjoy them. So I've had to make the hard decision to be like, I'm going to be prioritizing on the items that are making me money, that's enjoyable, but that are profitable. So I try to focus on at least two active income streams at one time, and those become my main focus. So day in and day out, I'm working on building those active income streams. And then the secondary the secondary tier is filling it with semi-passive income streams, meaning that I do work now that could potentially pay off later. So that could include like your big affiliate payouts, which I highly recommend. Like, of course, the, the small payouts are good, but focusing energy on like big things, the big things that you could work on today, but that will have lasting effects tomorrow. And then lastly, that third ring is like the items that I truly love and I truly enjoy, but they're not as lucrative. So I don't necessarily focus on them as much right now because of the time capacity. But of course, maybe in the future, I will if things change. So really looking at what's the items that you're passionate about that bring in the bulk of your income and really focusing your time and energy and growing that and, you know, not being afraid to toss things to the side. One more thing I'll say is that I've always struggled with, I'm good at a lot of different things and it doesn't necessarily mean I need to make money and work on them at the same time. Like I have a book, a notebook filled of ideas that will never likely see the light of day, but I'm just a very idea driven, creative person. So I just keep track of all these ideas. And then from time to time, I just look and go back and say, okay, is something I want to go forward on? Or do I want to share ideas with someone else to maybe, or like partner with someone else to make this happen? So it's possible, but the focus and the determination to be like, I want to do this and everything will just have to kind of be in the wayside. I love that. Why do you think women, in particular women of color, are being drawn towards entrepreneurship and record record numbers. African-American women in particular are going into entrepreneurship at like, I think the rate is 300% over the next group below them. So what do you think is attracting people to entrepreneurship? What is, you know, again, we're talking about designing your best life, but what is it that you think women feel will happen for them as they go into entrepreneurship? And, and what are your thoughts about just traditional nine to fives 
and how that impacts the dreams that we have for ourselves. And by the way, listeners, neither one of us are anti nine to fives. We, I loved my old job until I didn't. Um, and I worked it for 10 years. Like I absolutely loved it. I went, went hiking, stuff like that. But I do think that um, there is a moment where you, there are moments in your professional life where you do have these questions. So I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on, on why we're, we're moving into entrepreneurship at the rates that we are and what isn't, what needs aren't being met? Yes. So I think that because of the need in today's world to have multiple income streams, that it actually makes a lot of sense to start as a side hustle and just try things out, whether that's developing an app or freelancing or, you know, doing other side hustles and and odd jobs like that. I think there's a financial need out there to bring in more income and bringing a diverse array of income. So that probably opens up the door to to pursuing entrepreneurship. I also think that a lot of women of color, if they were from immigrants, like an immigrant household, and their family immigrated to the United States, they maybe saw their parents having multiple jobs. And back then, it was multiple jobs. It wasn't a side hustle. It was like, no, my grandma, my aunt has two jobs. So also seeing the background of like having, being exposed to folks who have multiple jobs, um, who are, are diversifying their income streams, that I think has a big impact. And then I also think that there's just a sentiment of resigning and resignation and just wanting to be on your own and not having to deal with the toxicity that comes with nine to five, there are lots of benefits, but there's also things that can be really harsh and really draining and depleting to women and women of color in particular. So all these things I think make for entrepreneurship looking like an option. I've also seen just because I'm in the grants world, I've seen also so many opportunities out there, awards, different types of funding mechanisms, specifically calling out women of color specifically calling out Black women, for example, or AAPI. All of these is like also encouraging that that these organizations, these institutions are seeing that there is a need and they're putting their money where their mouth is and where their mission is and they're investing. Um, So all of these things, the opportunity is there also from our backgrounds of seeing our family and just wanting to be on our own and pave a way for ourselves, I think can all lead to that decision. One of the conversations that I've had with people about their jobs and what they get from work is people love when they are acknowledged for the work that they do, or they get professional accolades such as awards and, you know, um, so on and so forth, or, or the ability to participate in unique programs specific to their job. So for example, when I was working at the university towards the end of my time there, <laughs> my director put my name down for a professional development program that the university had. So every, I think every year they would have 25 professionals participate in this year long professional development experience, which it was a wonderful experience, by the way. And it was definitely helpful to keep me there a little longer. But I think when we think of entrepreneurship, there's this idea 
that those kinds of accolades and, and opportunities don't exist. Could you talk about how, how your professional experience has been in terms of those types of opportunities? It's sort of like your love language, right? So how do you how do you thrive when you're feeling appreciated? So when I think about that in my nine to five setting, it was getting promotions, getting raises. Uh, but also it was the small things like after we submitted a, a grant that I was a lead on my investigator coming to me and thanking me personally or giving me some flowers, um, that bonus check at the end of the year. So those are the the things uh, that made me feel appreciated and valued. Also getting a promotion every couple of years too, definitely did help. (laughs) Um, And so that was that when it came to nine to five job. Now, as an entrepreneur, I don't have that in that sense, but my love language is still the same where when I deliver on a podcast campaign and the sponsor comes back to me, my brand comes back to me and they're amazed and they are actually going to go and put that episode on their homepage or on their website. That is a, a an appreciation. That's a moment where there, I feel so valued and that's, that to me makes me feel so fulfilled. So I think what's important is to know how you want to feel appreciated in your work setting and seeing if that correlates to your new entrepreneur or your new career path and seeing how that's possible. It looks different, but at the end of the day, I love when my client is happy and when they want to work with me again. It really, truly brings me joy So that is what I seek for everything I'm doing when it comes to either coaching clients or brands I work with and all of that. So I think that's the string that keeps it all together, even though it looks a little bit different these days. I'm going to talk about something that I actually discussed in an interview that we did, that I did yesterday. And I think it's incredibly important in that I'm speaking with primarily American women about uh, designing their best lives. But one of the things that is definitely a roadblock is insurance. And given that you're a new mom and you, you turned in your, your, um, your notice, and then you're like, Oh, Oh God, I'm pregnant. Um, Could you kind of talk about that part of your journey and what happened? I am not sure that I know that part of your story. What did you guys end up doing? Ooh, let me just say insurance, take the time to figure it out before you leave, because it was a rude awakening for us. I think the hardest part was that because we were pregnant, we were expecting a child that year, we had extremely high uh, premiums. And that is like different from what would be, and I had really good health insurance with my nine to five. So I never felt a pinch when it came to my health insurance coverage, not even when I added my husband on my plan during my nine to five job. Like I never felt like I had to take money out of my pocket to pay for it. I never felt a pinch. However, as an entrepreneur, the intentionality and being able, having to bring enough income to cover that um, is eye-opening. It is eye-opening opening. So I've realized that I actually have to make more than I did in my nine to five job to cover the health insurance aspect 
Um, and in terms of like uh, how we actually decided to do it, we went into the marketplace um, here in Connecticut and we looked at different options and that kind of got us started. Uh, but like I said, with all the doctor visits and all of those things, like we 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 literally had a, a large bill by the time uh, my, my son was born, which we're still working on paying off. So if I could go back, I would probably knowing me, cause I like to do multiple bank accounts. I'd probably have a bank account specifically for health insurance and just have some money, a couple of months of premiums in there, payments in there, just so I wouldn't necessarily have to feel the pinch. And when the bills come, I can feel a little bit more at ease because it is definitely more expensive on your own. What surprised you the most about, about your life as a result of deciding to redefine how work looks for you and just wanting more for your, your life and how that looks? The most surprising thing has been cash flow. So 10 months, actually 11 months out of the year, because I'm now a little bit like 14, 15 months now as an entrepreneur, the first 10 months was amazing. I was making enough, even being pregnant and having complications and, and not working for some time. I was still doing great with cash flow. And then August 2022 came around and I had a lot of income coming down the pike for September, October, November, but very little actually hitting in the month of August. And I, this is the first time that I realized, okay, cash flow is so important. And as an entrepreneur, you have varied income, but trying to find a good mix is is like more important than everything. Um, and another thing I would say also is how much of a failure I felt like. I was I felt like, wow, I was 11 months of doing it on my own before I had to tap into my emergency fund, my going full-time fund, as I called it. And I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh my gosh, my first year of entrepreneurship, I had to drain half of my full-time fund just so I can like survive and see another day. And a lot of tears, a lot of just like self-deprecating thoughts. Uh, but one of the highlights that my husband really just helped me reframe is that like you had, this money was there set aside for these moments. This money was was intentionally set. You made all these sacrifices, tap into it, and you're actually quite lucky to have this to fall back on. So I actually tweeted this. I tweeted my thoughts of like just feeling like I felt like you're not a failure if you have to drain your emergency fund and start from zero. And that tweet had 56,000 likes and like thousands of retweets. And it just made me realize how so many people feel down on themselves when they have to go and tap into their emergency fund. But that's what it's there for. We know what it's there for, but the draining part doesn't feel good to us. So my biggest lesson is think about your cash flow, save for the rainy days, because some months may be amazing, but some months may be a little slow. Some months may, you may not see anything at all. So to weather the storm, having an emergency fund is really, really helpful. What's a day in the life like for you now compared to before? All right. So I'm intentionally a stay at home, work from home mom. So like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I wanted to be here with my son day in and day out. I decided not to do daycare. So we have no daycare. So it's me and baby K all day. 
<laughs> which is in the morning, we start off the day making sure that he's all set. So diaper changes and feedings. And once he's all set and good, I may start to do a little bit of work. A lot of the time this work quote unquote is baby one hand and then right hand is scrolling, typing and doing all the things. So a lot of uh, multitasking, a lot of playing. What has been helpful, my husband and I, we do shifts. So we have certain times during the week where he will take baby K off of my hands and I can dedicate to doing podcast interviews or doing the creative work or meeting with coaching clients. So that has been really helpful that despite not having childcare, we can find times where we can both come together and he focus on his work. And then I focus on my work as well. Um, and you'll be surprised by how much you can fit in three hours. <laughs> it's, I didn't think so, but in three, three and a half, four hours, you could have, you could get a lot done. Um, so by the time, typically by 3 PM, we're really all done with like the work and the major work items. So that will look like lunch and playing with baby K and relaxing. Sometimes I do have evening calls. If I, if my shift, if I'm able to like work during the evenings, I'll do like evening calls with my community, meet with some clients. So really keeping it flexible in the evening time. And a lot of playtime, a lot of reading, playing, visiting family, hanging out. Uh, and yeah, that's a day in the life. I will say there are some times where I feel motivated to actually wake up earlier at like 5 a.m. And I love that because it's quiet. Everyone's sleeping. So I can really bang out and work on those heavy task loads. And then there's some evenings like last night I was up to probably like maybe 1.30 a.m., I, I was saw motivated. That. I was yeah. Like, what is she doing up? But I didn't, I didn't, I was like, I'm not going to tweet her. Like I, she's focused. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes like when the motivation strikes, um, and then I also found that if I could, if I can work later in the evening time and get stuff done, I can sleep in a little bit more the next day, or I can like ease into the day and not have to rush hundred percent, go to the computer early in the morning. But it's been a balance of like being there because I'm the primary caretaker and things like not scheduling calls with folks when I know I don't have childcare is important and having boundaries because prior I would say, oh, well, you know, I can probably make this work now. I'm like, I, these are the times I'm available. I can, to give you my hundred percent all I need to be able to, to put this time aside. So having boundaries has been really helpful as well. But a lot of multitasking, a lot of playing, but this is the life I wanted. I really wanted to be here day in and day out. And it is so amazing. And just, he's growing so fast. And I feel so appreciative that I have the opportunity to, to be here and do this. So Michelle is Money Hungry is a podcast that touches on a lot of topics around policy and social good and equity. And I'm wanting you to share your thoughts on what, and this is kind of a, a hard question, but what are some policies that you think the United States could pass that don't seem to exist now that could help women have better lives? This, this is very broad. There's, there's like, you might share something that I have no idea, never thought about. And this would be policy, whether you are a mom or not to, to make it even tougher. Yes. This is a, 
is an interesting question. One of the things that we have in the state of Connecticut is paid family leave, which we found to be actually really helpful for us when both my husband and I wanted to take time off and be with our son. So I'd love to see that across the board where regardless of if you have a job where you pay into this fund or you don't pay into this fund, that we can all be there with our newborns without having to feel stressed about our finances. Um, at least a percentage of our finances will be covered with that. And, and having that really allowed us to not have to worry as much because when I was giving birth, I was actually in the hospital for a few weeks where we had no income. We had nothing going on. Like it was just bedridden and me and my husband were just in bed all day. Um, and knowing that that fun was there was really just comforting for us, but I can only imagine the thousands of families that don't have that financial comfort and financial security. So I'd definitely love to see, to see that for sure. You actually brought up something that I'd forgotten had passed here in Colorado. And we will have a paid family leave as well as for single entrepreneurs, actually. And that law goes into effect in January of 2024. So one more year to go as they get it all figured out and fleshed out. I would 100% agree with you. I often will be in the social media streets reminding people that a lot of times, you know, recently there was this whole thing about, well, why don't Americans travel? I'm like, we don't have paid time off. <laughs> you know, like there's a certain very basic policies that I think other folks have and they assume that everyone has it and that's just not the case. So I love that answer. What does the future look like for you? Like what's next year? Let's, let's keep it tight. Like what does next year look like for you? And what are some of your dreams and, and, and how are you helping other women attain theirs? Yes. So I've decided that 2023, I am going to be focusing on my one-on-one coaching program. So really stepping into this role as a podcast marketing and monetization coach, which is taking me years to do. Like I've always kind of been in doing these things, but just not calling myself what I am. So I'm really, really excited to just be focusing on my clients and also stepping even deeper into my own show and my own podcast. So I finally decided that brand deals is how I want to monetize my platform, which allows me to share my content for free on my podcast. And I really have tight parameters around like the people I want to work with, who I work with and the kind of content that I create on my show. So those remember like in the beginning of the episode, I said, focusing on your big ticket items. So those are my two big tickets, my coaching program and my podcast that feels energetically good to me. And with both, I can still be active in my life of my son who's home with me full time. So that feels really, really, really good to me. And then now that he's getting a little older, you know, going to be approaching one soon, we have some trips planned. So stepping into that remote location, independence life, meaning we can travel, 
I really want him to see the world. We're thinking about homeschooling and what that would look like. So a lot of exciting things afoot, but just taking it one day at a time to get there. I will be using your Iceland book, by the way, because that is a trip that's coming up next year. For those folks who would like to know where you are, the projects you're working on, could you share that very quickly so that we know how to find you? Sure. The best place reached out to me would be over at daniellezier.com. From there, you'll find all my projects, but check out my podcast, the Thought Card Podcast, all about travel and personal finance. I'm also really active on Twitter at the Thought Card on Twitter. So would love to connect with you. Let me know where you are in your entrepreneurship journey and how you're designing your dream life. And I'm going to ask you a final question. For a woman who is looking to design their best life, not necessarily through entrepreneurship, they could have a nine to five or entrepreneurship. It doesn't matter. What tips would you share for them when they're thinking about how to move forward with that? I say daydreaming has been the biggest thing for me, challenging myself and not counting myself out. By daydreaming, I'm able to imagine, imagine what would life would be like. And it's so funny how eventually my life becomes what I daydreamed, right? But it took a lot of time, a lot of effort to get there. But if I counted myself out, if I said, oh, that's not for me. Oh, I can't do that. I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. So be actively daydreaming, give your, you know, give yourself time to to imagine what your life, what you want your life to look like, and then follow through on that. I think we really put a lot of thought in how, like, how am I going to do this? And that's important. But I think once you figure out what you want to do, then, and you put one foot in front of the other, the how becomes inevitable. So that's my idea. Don't think about the how, think about what you want to do and let, you know, let, let things happen to fall in place as they usually would. Oh my God, I love that. That's such a beautiful way to end the episode. Thank you, Danielle, so much. I'm just in awe of the work that you do. I love the work that you're doing and and the communities really that you are fostering. And I look forward to supporting you in the future, now and in the future, obviously. So thank you so much for your time. This was a absolute pleasure. Likewise, likewise. (laughs) 